when you don't delegate out, you're actually withholding opportunities. Because think of it this way, maybe there's something that's on your plate that another team member may be interested in. Hi, I'm Nils Vinya, and you're listening to the B2B Leadership Podcast, a show dedicated to demystifying leadership development one conversation at a time. Each week, I sit down with leaders in the B2B space to discuss their journey and what they've learned along the way. This podcast is brought to you by the B2B Leaders Academy. The cost of not consistently developing your leadership skills is enormous, and the B2B Leaders Academy features monthly leadership training and live coaching. Being a great leader isn't hard. You just need a guide and the right set of tools. So head on over to b2bleadersacademy.com to join and become the leader you have always wanted to be. Hello and welcome to another episode of the B2B Leadership Podcast. My name is Nils Vinya and today my guest is Joe Schmidt. Joe, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. Super excited to be here today. My pleasure, Joe. Looking forward to digging into all things leadership with you. But first, would you share with me and the audience your role that you're in today and the company that you're working for? My role here today is I'm Vice President of Customer Success at Upkeep. And Upkeep is an asset operations management solution that is helping maintenance and reliability teams across a lot of different industries. And we essentially fall into the bucket of B2B SaaS. Okay. And maintenance and reliability, can you give an example? What exactly do you mean by that? Yeah, definitely. So that can range the gamut from, you know, team members working in an actual facility or a maintenance facility, right? Or it could be all the way from oil and gas rigs. So a a large gamut, pretty much every industry has maintenance teams that need, need a tool to use. That's cool. And so the maintenance teams are using Upkeep to sassify their operations. Is that a fair way to say it? Yeah, pretty much. Over the last few years, there's been this awesome transition from taking blue collar, the blue collar space and applying technology to help them do their jobs a lot easier. And so for Upkeep, what we really focused on was the end user. And so if we think about maintenance team members, they're out in the fields and they're doing things with their hands. So, you know, using a mobile device might not be the first thing that you would think of, but we really focused on making it easy to do your jobs with using technology in a space that it's typically not comfortable with using. You know, large majority of B2B SaaS businesses focus on the business, but you chose to focus on the user and specifically the blue collar workers out there in the field working with their hands, doing all the critical things that keep everything running. It's just fantastic. So super cool. Love the love the company, love the the product and what you guys are doing there. So let's rewind the clock a little bit and let's go back to how you got into your first leadership position. Would you set the stage for us? What were you doing as an IC and and what led to the ultimate promotion into a leadership position? Yeah, definitely. So I feel like I've had a pretty untraditional path to getting into technology and also getting into leadership just in general. So, you know, as I was going through college, I really didn't have any direction on what I wanted to do. And I found a quick win in getting involved in retail management. And from there, that's where I really understood the the people aspect of it, right? So worked in retail management for a while and eventually made my way to Starbucks. And Starbucks was a really great place for me to learn the fundamentals on what it's like to be a leader. Because when we look at an organization like Starbucks, every aspect of the business has been figured out. 
I was able to go and have that amazing experience. And that then led me to the opportunity of getting to work with startups and then within tech. So I made the transition over. And what I found was coming from a place that had such great structure was super applicable to going to the startups who did not have structure. So I was able to bring that experience over and then bring it to the world of startups. From there, that's where I really started really understanding the style of leadership versus manager, right? Because in typically those retail-like environments or hospitality, really managing teams to do processes, not necessarily driving them to motivate them to get to outcomes. And for me, that's where the big switch came into leadership was going into the world of startups and tech. From college, not really knowing which direction to go, to retail management, to Starbucks, to then startups in the tech field, and you've been there for a while. That's absolutely fascinating. And I love that, you know, you call it out, an untraditional approach to this, but a couple themes I heard you say there was about continuously learning at each of these places. And you mentioned that the Starbucks, in the Starbucks situation, they had everything figured out. Like it was a well-oiled machine. So can you tell us like, what that environment was like for you as from a leadership perspective when everything was already dialed in. Yeah, there wasn't too much to figure out as it relates to process. What it was really focused on is, did we do these activities when we needed to do them in order to stay in line with Starbucks caliber, right? And I think where more freedom came from was how do we engage with customers, right? But still a, a playbook behind how to do that as well in regards to setting the expectations of how Starbucks creates that experience for their customers. And so with that, that experience, again, that allowed me to take my physical customer service experience and then bring it to the world of digital, which is still providing value, whether you're handing off a cup of coffee, providing value, or whether you're getting someone to renew their subscription, still providing value. That's cool. And there's a people element across the board too, right? The process is the process. And depending on stage of company and size of company, it's going to be either all over the place or locked in and dialed in just like in Starbucks case. But the people element is always there too, right? That's that's a key piece that has to be done. I'm curious for the level of freedom that existed inside of the Starbucks environment from a people management engagement perspective with customers or with the team members that were part of the group. Yeah. So, I mean, the engagement with the employees was, you know, pretty standard. Again, these these team members were coming in and, and, and most of them were part-time employees, right? So, the style and management was very different. Their whys behind working were very different. Some team members weren't there to create a career out of Starbucks. It was a stopping uh, path for them. So, that adjusted kind of where I would focus energy at and working with them to help them be successful at Starbucks. Whereas, you know, in the world of technology, technology or world of customer success, you know, all my team members are relatively senior in their careers, right? And it is truly that it is a career for them. So different motivators for sure across those different gamuts of leading people. Yeah. And and understanding what the motivators are behind anybody's position, regardless of if you're in Starbucks or in a tech startup or in a billion dollar software organization, right? It's critical to the leadership role. And we're going to get into more of that in a little bit. But thanks so much for taking us through kind of the, the early stages of the growth and leadership. And, you know, this is just a great example of how, regardless of your background, each thing that you learn along the way paves the way for the next step. Right. And who would have thought that, hey, Joe, graduating from college, going into retail management is going to end up as VP of customer success inside of a tech startup. Like probably if I told you that was where you were going to go, you might not have believed that at the time. Right. 
Yeah, 100%. 100%. And, and sometimes people often get, you know, a little bit hung up on the fact, well, if I don't get into this role, then I can't get into the next role, and then I can't get to here. And the reality is you can learn at every single position, regardless of level, regardless of company, regardless of industry. As long as you're growing and learning, you're going to apply those tools just like you talked about with us. And I think that's fantastic. 100%. All right. So let's talk about some key foundational principles for you from a leadership perspective that you look to embody yourself and you really bring home with the team at Upkeep inside your organization. Can you share some principles with us? Yeah, definitely. So for our customer success department, we essentially have four different teams across 22 different team members and includes professional services, solutions engineers, customer success managers, and and technical support, right? But the philosophies across all those teams has been the same. And the major one that I've really anchored on is this concept of autonomy and structure. I'm not sure where that came from there. I could have very much read that on LinkedIn at one time in my life, right? But the idea behind this, right, is that you essentially are encouraging the roles to have autonomy, but as a leader, you're providing structure for them, right? And it's pretty straightforward for the structure piece. It's making sure that the team has clear understandings of what's expected from them, both quantitative and qualitative as well. And they also understand what resources are available for them and guidelines. And the autonomy part of it is really encourage them to improvise and figure out the in-betweens of those processes. And, and that could relate to customer situations or you know, how they actually achieve their quantitative measures in their role, right? So balancing between the two. And, and what I've learned is that there's different levels of this depending on the role, right? My level of structure and autonomy for my managers may be way different than a team member that's in a CSM role. Or, you know, also too, depending on where you're at in the business is the hiring profile making sure that that person that is coming in to pioneer the role for the first time is going to have full autonomy, right? So they need a previous experience, maybe understanding what structure looks like, right? But again, over time, we've adjusted this approach, but kept the core foundation there of leading the team in this way. I think that's a really great philosophy. I align with it 100%. My uh, phrasing on this is called guardrails and freedom, but it's literally the exact same thing you just described, right? You have to have guardrails to provide the structure, but you have to have freedom to operate within because otherwise everything gets really boring. (laughs) 100%. And you probably witnessed this in, in the retail world or in Starbucks world where everything's dialed in and you're just kind of a robot plugged into a situation like you know, there's not much to figure out and it can be kind of boring. You mentioned the quantitative and qualitative, and it's an interesting, you know, there's always two sides to this. And I'm curious if you could share a little bit more about the qualitative, because sometimes that gets pushed to the side, especially from a leadership perspective, because sometimes things are hard to measure. How you engage with a customer, the level of relationship that you build, how you handled a difficult conversation. What are some of the types of qualitative measures that you guys are looking at in that autonomy and structure area? Yeah, really great question. So we actually have a document, which we call the CS Expectations uh, Role Document. And the idea behind this, it's a rubric and it's structured in meets expectations, below expectations, exceed expectations. And it's broken down into a few different categories. And what it does is it provides the team members a, a structure, an idea of what it looks like to be a good team member in the CS department. And so it ranges from one example is somebody that responds to a customer inquiry within 24 hours is meets expectations. Someone that responds to them within four hours is exceed expectations. And all the way down to, you know, exceeds expectations and someone that comes prepared to their one-on-ones with their manager with clear action items and details, right? And so 
what we found was that by making it very clear on those expectations, it gave the team guardrails. And we use it in both positive and also opportunity situations. So positive for somebody that comes to the leader and says, hey, I, I want to exceed expectations in my role. It's like, fantastic. Here's your goals. But the qualitative side of it, here's it listed, right? And then the other side of it for the opportunities, you know, for me as a leader, the worst thing that could happen is somebody is surprised that they're being measured by something that they weren't aware of, right? And so when we have these conversations around, hey, you know, we didn't respond to that customer in time. No one's ever saying, oh, I didn't know that was expectation. It's like, no, we, we planned that and we discussed it, you know? That's a really interesting point. And I love how you broke it down and just brought it to the surface, made it abundantly clear. Everybody has access to that inside your organization. It's the same that's the same thing across the board. And that is so great because sometimes in orgs, you know, you might have certain people who are considered high performers and others who are considered average and some are, who are considered, you know, low performers. But oftentimes, if you drill in and say, well, what makes the high performers different? It's kind of a squishy answer. And you have the data from a qualitative perspective actually backed up and everybody is 100% clear on exactly what they have to do to, you know, substandard or meet or exceed expectations. And for me, you know, I, I have a lot of sayings in life and one of them is one band, one sound, right? And essentially meaning that we want the teams to be operating the same activities, providing the same customer experiences and doing the same processes, right? Still with the ability to operate independently if needed. But again, by having those clear expectations, everyone's essentially pulling their weight or understanding uh, what's expected from them. Is that expectation stock something that evolves over time, like quarter to quarter or year over year as you know the role changes? Or is this pretty much like the guardrails of the vast majority of the work that's ever going to happen inside of CS, inside of upkeep? Yeah, for the most part, the core aspects of it have stayed the same years over year, uh, year over year, and we have adjusted it uh, over time, right? But what I found mostly, it's you know, and I explained this to the team during their onboarding. It's like a lot of the things that are listed in this document are things that you don't even need to think about doing, right? But again, in the scenario that we want to have clear expectations, you know, a really clear one is you know, Salesforce is is Salesforce properly updated? It's, <laughs> it's a really ba it's a really basic thing, right? But again. It's one of those things that we can't assume that everyone is going to operate on the same level of filling out Salesforce, but we know it's very important. While that may be a very basic thing, it is one of the ones that comes up most often as far as we're not doing it. So I think having that very clear expectation from the beginning, day one, it's not a surprise. And when someone does not do it, it's not that they're doing a bad job. It's just that they're not living up to the expectation that was set. That's a totally different combination. I love how you, you dialed in everything there to have that very clear for the individuals. We'll get back to the interview in just a minute. This episode is brought to you by the B2B Leaders Academy. The cost of not consistently developing your leadership skills is enormous. The B2B Leaders Academy features monthly leadership training and live coaching. Being a great leader isn't hard. You just need a guide and the right set of tools. Head on over to b2bleadersacademy.com to join and become the leader you've always wanted to be. Now let's get back to the interview. All right, so autonomy and structure, the first major piece. What's part number two? 
Yeah, I think the next part of that, right, is with giving the team members the ability to make decisions, it also then leads to delegation as opportunity. And and what I mean by delegation as opportunity is is really creating opportunities for team members to own either new parts of the business or improve other parts. And I actually had an experience a couple of years ago with an amazing mentor named Eddie. And I came to my, my session with him and I said to him, I said, you know, I'm really struggling with finding time to be strategic in my role. I find that I'm always in the weeds. I'm in all of these reactive situations and I can never step back to make bigger decisions to help get my get the team out of these reactive modes. And he goes to me, he said, well, he's like, what are you working on? And I listed off a few items and he said, great. He's like, isn't there anyone on your team that can do that? And my response to him out of the gate was, well, no, they don't have the bandwidth. They're super busy. <laughs> and then, then his next question is, did you ask them that? And I said, you know what? I actually didn't ask them that. And what he explained to me at that point is he said, Hey, listen, you know, when you don't delegate out, you're actually withholding opportunities because think of it this way. Maybe there's something that's on your plate that another team member may be interested in, right? Or maybe something that they could take ownership on, right? And for them, that's an opportunity to explore new parts of the business or maybe even lead them down a new career path, right? He said, for you, that gives you the opportunity to focus on more strategic activities for your team to, again, make a bigger impact. And so after having that conversation, you know, it really changed my view because I think as a, as a younger leader, my view was I can provide value to my team by knowing absolutely everything and also making sure I'm removing all the roadblocks when actually it was the complete opposite of that. And so with that mentality, then that allowed us again to start delegating, but then people having a lot of ownership in what they were doing in the day to day. And again, that autonomy piece of figuring it out as we continue to build. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. I mean, that's just absolutely perfect. And and that's a fundamental mindset shift and why going from individual contributor level work to leadership and management level work is just fundamentally different, right? You have to focus on different things and you have to see the world from a different perspective. Love that you called that out. And a great example that just one powerful question from your coach, Eddie, who's a wonderful guy. I know him too. I think he was part of how we originally got connected. Set in motion a completely different trajectory for you as a leader. I mean, that that's the power of, of coaching and having an outside, neutral, third-party perspective because I am a coach myself. Being on the outside, I have no stake in what's going on inside the organization. I just see things as they are and play them back to you. And then you look at that and go, wait a second, that's not quite right. Hold on. <laughs> you walk yourself to it. Yeah, it's great. That's, right. that's absolutely fantastic. What have you found? So when you made that switch and you began to delegate things and viewed them as opportunities for others to take on, what did you see in the reactions from the team members who now were in a position to engage with new parts of the business or new projects or initiatives or things they had not been part of before? Yeah, I think like the the big the biggest takeaway is creating a sense of ownership and and really running with these new initiatives and and really figuring out. And I think a really good example of this is you know my I have a director of customer success, Miji Hendricks, and she this woman is a superhero. And with her, you know, last year we went through a transition where we resegmented our post sale customer base, and she knew the mission was growth retention. What she did is she took our customer success managers, deployed a new coverage on that those those tiers. And then we also deployed a retention manager to focus on more transactional activities in regards to retention. What she quickly learned from deploying this completely by herself was that the pool CSM was doing really well in one segment and the retention manager was doing really, really well in another segment. 
And she essentially said, I'm going to cross-pollinate, right? And so she put the structure in place to have the pool CSMs cover two tiers and have the retention manager cover two tiers as well. And within three quarters, we were able to expedite this entire process. And the amazing part of it is she took that same concept of delegation as opportunity and the autonomy of a structure and gave it to our amazing retention manager, Zach Kramer. Same thing. He took our retention process, ran with it, figured out what that structure looks like and made it repeatable. And so we were able to expedite impacting retention and impacting revenue within just three quarters of all of us having different strategies and approaches. Wow. That's a powerful story right there. Okay. So what did you as the VP feel when that whole thing transpired and you weren't the one with any of those answers? what did you feel? Yeah. So, you know, over time, you know, again, going back to what I was originally mentioning of providing value to the team, knowing everything, you know, it really allowed me, my view on it was more of being proud, right? Is knowing that I have a team in place that can be totally trusted and figuring things out, but also understanding when they can come to me in order to brainstorm or come up with ideas, right? Because there is a fine line between autonomy and neglect and not putting people on an island, right? So for me, it was really just being happy that what we're doing is working and the team is empowered to make changes and decisions and come up with a game plan around it, right? And the great thing with Zach too is that he came out of that now and he's viewed within Upkeep as our retention guru, where he is presenting churn and retention analysis to our C-suite and our executives. And historically, I was the one doing deep dives in churn analysis, right? Zach loves it and he's an expert at it. And so for him now, he... He owns it, you know, and loves it. So that's huge. Okay. So I want to drill in just on the autonomy versus neglect piece just a little bit because that's a really important one. And I think where a lot of these potential guardrails and freedom situations can go off the rails because the sometimes without the right balance there, you get total complete neglect, right? Okay. Here's a, we have a churn problem. You go fix it right? And come to me when you have the solution. Well, that doesn't really work terribly well, knowing that the individual who's responsible for this either may be completely capable or maybe feel completely underwater or, as you said, on an island. So how did you strike a balance between autonomy and neglect in this particular situation that would be helpful for that someone else could apply to a similar situation? Yeah, definitely. I think the main thing is, is just making sure that the team is aware of when they need to get help and what resources are available, whether that be myself or somebody else in, inside the organization. And one thing that we always try to do is we try to connect with other SaaS leaders that are either further along than us and, and pick their brains, right? And so it's really making sure that there are resources available, but also too, you're having conversations with them around the outcomes of what we're trying to do. So as much as the team is very much building the process and structure and with that autonomy piece of it, you know, I'm still following up on how the progress is going or the impact of that. And hopefully, you know, helping them find potential blind spots or making suggestions on, you know, what they can do. And that's a balance. And, you know, I always lead with this is, hey, this is just a suggestion. Take it. I have a bunch of ideas. Not sure if they're good, but, you know, just throwing them out there for them. Yeah. And you as a, as a VP can act as, you know, the coach, just like you were talking about Eddie before, a neutral outside third party who you're going to see things differently than the team that is in this and working on this day to day. So absolutely love how you set that up. Huge, huge point on making sure that you find the right balance between autonomy and neglect. All right. So we covered autonomy and structure, covered delegation as opportunity. What's next? Yeah. So I think all of this has really led up to the team really being a self-sufficient team. 
right? And with them having the uh, understanding of what are we striving to achieve, both in my individual role and how that impacts the actual company's success, right? They understand the structure part of it. And then the ability to make decisions on their own. And also, again, taking on new opportunities, whether that be improving processes in their current day-to-day activities, or maybe they are interested in product, right? And taking on new initiatives in, in that front, right? So delegating where gaps are, are in the business has really been created a team that's self-sufficient. And this has been wildly powerful because really the team is there to figure it out on their own, but again, ask for resources. So where this has been great is that it really, again, goes back to creating a sense of ownership. And I feel that for most team members, a part of any team, the way that you feel fulfilled at work is feeling like you are contributing and you're owning something, right? Always, again, creating opportunities for people. Um, the other side of it as well is that we want to make sure that managers are actually not a bottleneck for their team members, right? And so because we've always practiced that, you know, our customer success managers they don't deal with troubleshooting issues. They have a book of business they're responsible for, but we created a structure for support to engage with their customers and help them out, right? And so we created these channels where if they're running into a technical issue, they're not going to their manager and asking a technical issue. They're going to the technical support team because they know that's where they're going to get the solutions resolved. And so we've introduced all of these ideas to, again, allow them to be self-sufficient, but still get the resources that are actually necessary. And then for the manager side of it, right, with having a self-sufficient team, this essentially allows myself and also my managers to step out of the day-to-day. So we do have time to be actually uh, strategic. So we can make a bigger impact, whether, again, that's in the department or going outside of the department. You know, a good example of that is the solutions engineers report to the customer success team. And that's a pre-sales motion, right? And so not very typical, but for me, because the customer success, the technical support, professional services team is a well-oiled machine, I was able to take this team on. And for me, that helped me improve retention. Best way to stop churn is not let it in, you know? By having my solutions engineers aligned with that, right? We are essentially making sure that only good fit customers. And so that's a really good example where I was able to spend my time and energy to make a bigger impact on the goals because I know that the team is self-sufficient running the other sides of the business, right? Which you never would have been able to do had you been involved in every single project and initiative and issue and escalation, et cetera, that was going on with your team. Is that right? 100%. Yeah. And so there's huge business impacts. And then I, I would say the last thing of it, right, is that the team members and the leaders are able to step out of the business, right? I take vacation. I'm a big, a big believer in taking vacation is also by leading by example, especially in the world of being remote. And so I know I can step out of the business for a full entire week and nothing stops. It doesn't, everyone is well supported. They understand what's going on. Uh, and then everyone takes vacation as well. So we're all recharged. That's just absolutely wonderful. I mean, that's no bottlenecks across the board because you've you've consciously scripted all the possible scenarios people are going through, provided the right channels for support and engagement, set very clear expectations, drive accountability. That's awesome. I mean, I want to call out that it doesn't happen terribly often that we get both sides of this equation. People in the customer success profession of predominantly will say, I wish I had time to be strategic, just like you told Eddie all those years ago. However, the second half of this conversation, you've actually gotten as a VP to the point where you are solely focused on being strategic and not involved. And so have your directors and so have your managers and so, frankly, have your CSMs. That's absolutely wonderful, man. Congrats on the progress there because that is- Thank you. I appreciate it. 
And it means a lot to the people too, right? Nobody really truly loves firefighting all day, every day. It is a blood pressure increasing <laughs> activity yeah. that doesn't ever let up. And, and having felt it myself for many years, you know, that's it's the pit in the stomach that just doesn't go away. But when you have these systems like you describe, you can handle any situation, whether it's restructuring the, uh, you know, the distribution of accounts, looking at churn, getting involved with the sales engineers. I just love the fact that, you know, you can put your energy in the most strategic way possible to have the biggest impact on the business. It doesn't just involve only the things that are going on inside your team, inside your org, et cetera. Nice work, Joe. Thank you. I'm curious now, we've come kind of full circle here. And I want to ask you, if you, if you look back, or if you were to sit down with your earlier younger self when you got into that retail position or yeah, that retail position, the very beginning, and you know everything you know today, what advice would you give to your younger self? Yeah, that's a really, really good question. The biggest thing is not to try to control everything. Even with being in places where there is extreme structure on it, there is still opportunities, I think, again, to delegate out. And I think that my time in working in those retail or hospitality or at Starbucks would have been more enjoyable if I didn't have that mentality that I needed to control or do every part, right? So I think, again, giving people more freedom. And then I think the other side of it as well is really more taking a leadership approach of motivating people to achieve their outcomes versus more managing them to processes. And again, that comes with different levels of you know uh, team members' experience, but even still starting early on, I think it's a good concept. Incredible advice, Joe. Wonderful to spend some time with you today. Thank you so much for taking us on this journey, sharing these incredibly valuable principles, a little bit of a peek inside of how you run your CS organization inside of Upkeep. Super excited for you and all the things that you and your team are going to do. So thanks so much for spending time with me today. Thanks so much. It was a blast talking about it and happy to share my experiences. Awesome. Take care. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks. See ya. Thank you for listening to the B2B Leadership Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd welcome you to subscribe and give the show a five-star review. You can see the show notes and all of the resources mentioned in today's episode at b2bleadershippodcast.com. As always, I'm Nils Vinya. And I hope you'll join us again next week. Take care and have a great rest of your day. This podcast is brought to you by the B2B Leaders Academy. The cost of not consistently developing your leadership skills is enormous. And the B2B Leaders Academy features monthly leadership training and live coaching. Being a great leader isn't hard. You just need a guide and the right set of tools. So head on over to b2bleadersacademy.com to join and become the leader you have always wanted to be.